0: And now, Thriller Thursdays, on the Mutual Audio Network.
1: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
2: Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing... Martin Bracknell's immortal detective Black Jack Justice starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon girl detective The name's Justice Jack
3: Justice People worry about the strangest things sometimes I'm sorry if that sounds obvious and I'm really not complaining at all after all my business such as it is depends upon a certain healthy level of paranoia But there are certain immutable laws in the universe, and it isn't possible to simply switch them off. The sun continues to shine, gravity continues to keep us tethered to the ground, and people continue to behave in a series of pretty unpleasant ways to one another. To put these concepts to the test is a waste of time, and to employ the firm of Justice and Dixon to do so on your behalf will cost you $39.95 a day, and leave you sadder, if wiser, than you were when you walked in the door. These are simply facts. I do not offer explanations, nor can I provide exceptions to these rules. I'm a detective. I conform to the laws of the universe. I don't write hall passes to them. And for the most part, that is generally understood. By the time people cast a shadow across the smoked glass that bore the words Justice and Dixon, they had usually come to their own conclusions about the universe, or at least the tiny corner of it that they wanted to have under photographic surveillance between 6 and 10 on Tuesday night. We were hired to provide confirmation of the most basic of laws of the universe. People were scum. This is a service we could provide, and cheerfully, for what it's worth, and with a certain amount of hard-boiled banter. But every so often, someone walked in the door who had the whole thing wired backwards, like Mary Ellen Jory. And that was always
1: trouble.
4: Let me see if I've got this straight, Miss Jory. Mary
1: Ellen will be just fine, please.
4: Just as you like. You would like to employ Mr. Justice and myself to prove your fiancé, Mr. Nathan Bridge of 226 Bank Street, Apartment C, to be a good and virtuous man. Well,
1: yes, in a way. He isn't. How can you say that?
4: Because there aren't any.
1: Oh, Miss
4: Dixon. Don't miss Dixon me with that little smile that suggests I have perhaps been hardened by this rough-and-tumble lifestyle that I lead. I have left more battle scars than I have been left with, and in the game of love, that means I win. I am stating a fact.
1: She's very serious. Sometimes. And you're very quiet. Sometimes. Is it too much to ask why either of you should be so put off by this job? Because I feel certain that another detective agency There's
3: no need for that, Miss Jory.
1: Mary Ellen.
3: If you like. If we are serious or silent, it is because we are providing you with what another detective agency might not. The straight goods.
1: All
4: right. It's a question of odds, Miss. We like to have an option of success. If you said to us, my fiancé Nathan Bridge is a two-timing horse's patoot and I want pictures to prove it, then you've given us an achievable goal... If we end up making you miserable in the process, we have at least made you a satisfied customer. And if we fail utterly in our mission... Which
3: does not happen often.
4: Which does not happen often. But when it does, and you are forced to admit that perhaps your fiancé, Nathan Bridge, really does work late on Thursdays and is not, in fact, having a secret tryst with his secretary at a motel on Canard Street and is therefore just possibly not having a tryst with his secretary at all, and if therefore possibly, just possibly not having any sort of tryst with anyone anywhere... Stop
3: saying tryst so much.
4: I can. not The word is like candy in my mouth. Trist.
3: The point of this is that if we fail to make you a satisfied customer, we have at least left you somewhat happier human being.
1: So you are concerned about my happiness. Not really. Then I'm confused.
3: We can't investigate a negative. There's nothing to
4: Detect.
3: Yes. What she said. So we have to look for something. Something bad. Which means we are actively campaigning against your stated interests.
4: It's also pretty vague, which doesn't help. In my earlier scenario, we can follow Nathan Bridge on Thursdays. Or we can watch the motel on Canard. Or we can follow the secretary, see if she really is as enthusiastic as she seems. There are things to try. Definite things. This just doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to it. Perhaps if I were to
1: explain myself a little more.
3: Perhaps that might be best.
1: I first met Nathan almost a year ago. It isn't hard to see why I was so taken with him at once. I was like a silly schoolgirl at first, I admit that. My Aunt Vivian was terribly concerned, but Nathan was a perfect gentleman.
0: That's
3: a shame. I'm sorry? Uh, Let's back up a minute, because I think we missed something. Aunt Vivian? Aunt Vivian. She made an entrance, but we sort of glossed over it.
1: My Aunt Vivian is... Well, first of all, she's my great-aunt... Very much the family matriarch.
4: Great Aunt Vivian Jory?
1: Um, no. Vivian Reynolds?
4: The Vivian Reynolds?
1: Well, yes. I suppose you could put it that way.
4: I think I just did.
3: Can I ask a question? I wish you would. Who is Vivian Reynolds, and why does she rate a the?
4: The millionaire, Jack. The Aunt Acid heiress, or whatever she is. Oh, well, not exactly.
3: Not exactly millionaire?
1: No, not exactly Aunt Acid.
3: In any event, I think I see the picture now. Great Aunt Vivian was concerned with her duckling's reputation, yes?
1: Yes. And rightly so, I might add. I was perfectly prepared to make a fool of myself over Nathan. It was he who brought me back to my senses. I see. Really? Nathan was as concerned for my feelings and my reputation as Auntie Viv. That's when
4: I knew he was the one for me. Can we back up a titch?
3: Yeah, I think we're on the same page here.
1: What is it?
4: Your. What, 24, 25?
1: 26.
4: So what exactly is it that Auntie Viv is so concerned about? If you were 17 and she were merely protective of the sweet flower of youth, that would be one thing. But I speak from experience when I say that there does come a point when one's family becomes increasingly desperate to marry one off. To anyone. At all. Oh, I'm sure you'll meet the right guy. I mean a lot of right guys.
1: I think the
3: point that my associate is trying to make is that there must be a reason why your Aunt Vivian is so particular about your fella, even now that he is your fiancé.
1: Especially now that he is my fiancé.
3: Ah, I think I begin to see.
1: Nathan had something of a reputation.
3: A cad? A bounder? A blackguard?
4: I'm not entirely sure what that means exactly. Ignore him. God knows I do. In his youth,
1: Nathan was something of an adventurer
4: miss jory i like a good euphemism as much as the next girl but sir edmund hillary is an adventurer what was nathan exactly
1: nathan was a sort of young man who might have played a girl false to get his hands on her inheritance
4: or at least that is what auntie viv feels
1: she has forbidden me to marry him until she is satisfied to the contrary
4: and this is why you come to us to give nathan a clean bill of health precisely and this will satisfy Auntie Viv? I believe that it will.
3: All of which returns us to the original problem, being that it is very hard to prove a negative.
1: Mm-hmm. Aunt Vivian is a reasonable woman. If I tell her that two licensed private detectives gave this their full attention for a week... and found nothing to suggest that Nathan is anything other than I believe him to be... that should be sufficient for her.
4: A week? I don't think less than that would convince her. In advance?
1: I don't see why not. I'll write a check... If you'll take the case.
4: We do like to help a gal out.
1: But we aren't made of stone. Oh, I'm so glad. You'll see. Nathan is really a wonderful man.
4: Of course. Let me type up a contract. I know this will put Auntie Viv's mind at rest.
3: And you have no doubts in the matter. I do not. Aunt Vivian will, of course, want a full report. Of
1: course she will. Make lots of notes. She's very impressed by
4: thorough notes.
3: We can do that.
1: And penmanship.
3: She may have to eat that one.
1: I understand.
4: Here we are, Miss Jory. If you'll just sign here and here. Very good. We're on the case.
1: Thank you. Thank you both so much. I'll let you get started. You have my number if you need anything, anything at all. Of
4: course. And thank you both again. So? So? Guess we have several people's lives to ruin. Yep. We should probably get on that. Yep. Where do you want to start?
3: I don't know. Chinese?
4: I'm thinking Italian.
3: I could do Italian.
4: I'll get my hat. If the task sounded daunting, dear friends, that's because it was. We had no specific suspicions to work on, no list of shady associates, not even a general idea of what Nathan Bridge might have been guilty of beyond being interested in Mary Ellen Jory's inheritance, which would have been in the back of St. Francis of Assisi's mind so large was the estate of Auntie Viv rumored to be. So the task was far from simple. Fortunately, we had one thing going for us. He was a man. No, seriously gentlemen, give it some thought. How many of you wouldn't be found guilty of something if you were under surveillance for a week? If I were to watch you, constantly, for seven days, without you knowing I was there, dear me, did it just get warm in here? I digress slightly. I do that. In fact, we can roll the ladies into this grouping if it helps to keep us on topic because I know that none of them could bear that sort of scrutiny. And so it was that Old Square Jaw and I put Nathan Bridge under the microscope... and hoped that nature would take its sorry course.
3: The trouble with looking for nothing in particular... is that you generally end up finding it. The simplest matter, of course, would have been to find another girl on the scorecard. But if there was, he was in no hurry to see her. A couple of days of surveillance turned up nothing... apart from a habit of driving to work and staying there. Our gainful employment was all very well and good but I couldn't help but think that we weren't really achieving any of Mary Ellen Jory's goals. She had asked us to prove a negative, which meant that we were proving nothing, and I found it very hard to believe that the antacid heiress would see our notes as anything more than a pile of extremely detailed not-very-much, with poor penmanship to boot. Clearly this required something of a rethink. We repaired to the blue moon for a glass of strategy.
4: It all comes down to what you said. You can't prove an absence of guilt.
3: Is that what I said?
4: I was improving your grammar. And also making you smell better.
3: Thank you. And shut up.
4: You know, I finally understand why the law works this way. Presume everyone is innocent until you've proved otherwise. The other way is just too much work.
3: And kind of a dystopian nightmare.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's all part of life's rich pageant. Don't try and sound smart. I've known you too long.
3: So we're coming at this from the wrong angle.
4: We have an angle now.
3: We do. We're trying to prove that Nathan Bridge of 226 Bank Street, Apartment C, to be a good and virtuous man.
4: That's what we were asked to do.
3: Yeah, but that's not what we do, which is why it isn't working.
4: You want us to prove him guilty?
3: Yes. I want us to assume he's Hitler's shoeshine boy and eats puppies for breakfast and then bring him down. It's our bit.
4: It isn't what the client really wants. The client just wants us to be thorough enough to convince her aunt.
3: A task which we could most effectively perform by faking a week's worth of investigation, making a bogus report, and then getting drunk.
4: How does getting drunk help us, exactly?
3: I don't know. Never seems to do any harm.
4: Again, tough but fair. Joey, two more here.
3: So how do we do this?
4: You tell me. You're the one with the strategy.
3: What was it the client said? Her fella used to have a reputation as a... What was it? A blackguard?
4: No, that was you. Have you been reading Regency romances? That's the second time you've said blackguard.
3: It's fun to say. You should try it.
4: I will not. She said he... Hang on, I wrote it down. He had... He had a... No. In his youth, he was something of an adventurer.
3: And then you made a joke.
4: I may have made a joke, yes. If people don't want to be made fun of, they should stop being so darn funny.
3: You know what you should have done instead?
4: Found out what she was talking about?
3: We should probably have found out what she was talking about. Doesn't
4: matter. She wouldn't have told us. She wants to get her reputation besmirched so bad, she's even willing to get married to do it.
3: Repression is a terrible thing.
4: So I hear. Thanks, Joey. You know, I think we missed something.
3: Wouldn't be the first time.
4: Look at my notes.
3: Your penmanship is awful. Auntie Viv would be appalled.
4: Shut up. Look... He was something of an adventurer. She was so busy choosing her euphemism, she used a definite article without even realizing it.
3: I don't think definite article is what you meant to say.
4: What are you, the grammar police?
3: What if I am? You know what I mean. Hardly ever.
4: Try very hard not to be a total idiot. He was an adventurer, so he did something. Something she can't pretend he didn't do because people know about it.
3: And if he did it once, it might be the sort of thing he would do again. Which would give us a general idea of what to look for to nail Hitler's boot black once and for all.
4: The puppy-eating monster.
3: I like this. This is almost a plan.
2: You are listening to Blackjack Justice from decoderringtheater.com.
4: Once you're looking for something that happened instead of something that might happen, you're on a whole different street, my friends. You now dwell in the land of the possible. So we put the word out to the usual crowd of unaffiliated semi-criminal scum with whom we were friendly with to see what we could pick up. There were no nibbles, but there were some nervous pauses, some narrowed eyes that seemed to wonder why we wanted to know, and then some promises to get back to us. There was a little something there, but it stayed just out of reach. Freddie the Finger would have told us. He would have stuttered and protested and sweated, but he would have told. But Freddy was on a business trip to Pensacola, or so Jack insisted, and would not be back until after our retainer was just a lovely memory. And so we beat a path to the Gazette building and found our nose for news Mike Rogers.
0: Am I missing something here? Probably. We usually are. What am I digging through these files for? Why don't you just sick Trixie on them?
4: Dear me, what has been suggested here?
0: I mean, if you really want to test this guy's virtue, why not have the girl detective sidle up to him at a cocktail bar and give him enough rope to hang himself?
4: Always classy. That's our Trixie.
0: We have done that sort of thing once or twice, Mike. Well, yeah. But always with a purpose. This isn't a purpose? If he's willing to... They're
4: all willing to, Mike. We judge a man's marriageability by what he does when a strange and somehow hauntingly beautiful blonde that he would normally have no chance with at all sits down next to him out of the blue and starts making encouraging noises and batting her eyelashes just so. You're
0: saying not a lot of guys have passed the test. Would you? Hell no. Would you? I'm the wrong guy to ask. My girl is pretty spectacular, actually. Yeah, rub it in. So entrapment is out.
4: Entrapment is fine. Entrapment that no reasonable human being could possibly resist.
3: We
0: like ourselves, don't we?
4: We are not the only one, let me tell you.
0: All right. Nathan Bridge. I knew I knew this bird. You knew you knew? I knew I knew. You know what I mean. Hardly ever. Gimme. Charged with conspiracy about eight years ago.
4: What did he conspire to do?
0: Rob an armored car.
4: Get out of town.
0: No, straight up.
4: He stuck up an armored car.
0: No, he was the investor.
3: The money man. The how much? Just about any caper requires startup funds. Some, just a little, some a lot. These guys needed two trucks and some special ordnance. Guys in the business, they don't put up their own money unless there's no other way. And if there's no other way, it's because it isn't much of a plan in the first place. The investor gets paid out of the proceeds
0: before it gets cut. Guys who'll rip off their partners and sell them out will never think of crossing their money man.
4: Because they'll get killed?
0: No, because they won't get the loan the next time. There are only so many investors out there, and guys who know about them aren't in it for the quick score. The professionals. Whatever else happens, it's rule number one. Don't let it get tied back to your money man.
4: So how come Nathan Bridge got charged?
0: I guess somebody broke rule number one.
4: And how come the charges were dropped?
0: Don't know. The rest of the gang pled guilty pretty quick, so he might have turned states, or their case against him might not have been very good. Why don't you go ask Sabian? Sabian isn't talking to us. Why not?
4: Because Jack's an idiot. He'll get over it. Which you're basing on?
0: The fact that he always does. So Bridge was a crime banker, was he? That's interesting. Did he give it up? Nobody knows.
4: You mean you don't know.
0: And if I don't know, it's because nobody will say. And if they won't say, it's because whatever else you do, you don't rat out the money man. Look, I pulled this file a couple years back and a few others. Thought it might be a story. All the law wants is the guys that pull the capers. But believe me, if they took six or eight guys like this off the streets, then crime wouldn't be able to tie its shoes in this town outside of the big outfits.
4: So, how come no story?
0: Did you ask some of your contacts about Bridge?
4: We asked all of our contacts about Bridge.
0: I bet nobody knew anything.
4: Except they almost certainly did. Check. Well, if you can't trust weasel faced underworld informants, who can you trust?
0: It's a cold, hard world, Trixie.
4: Sing it, sister. So, now what do we do? What do you mean? I mean, we're just now caught up with the events of eight years ago, and likely what our client and her great auntie Viv already know. How do we find out what Bridge is up to if nobody will tell us?
5: We take out a loan. Sorry to keep you waiting. That's all right, sir. Come in, please. This is a pretty sweet setup, Mr. Bridge. Nice office. Is the consulting business a front? No, it's a consulting business. But it keeps things simple if I mix business with business. Mr. Uh, Fisk, is it? Yes, sir. We don't know each other, Mr. Fisk. No, sir. Always a little awkward. I think you financed jobs I was on before, Mr. Bridge, with Eddie Pell. You know Eddie? Sure. How's he doing? I guess I'll find out when he gets out, sir. Off your Christmas card list for the duration, is he? It's like that when Guy goes inside, sir. Well, you certainly have the professional's attitude. Yes, sir. I wonder who else we might have in our mutual acquaintance. Sir? I can't conduct a normal credit check, Mr. Fisk. Almost all of my clients would fail, as very few of them travel under names that actually exist. Yes, sir. I guess this is why Eddie mostly handled this. We had a shorthand based on past experience. You and I might have that same thing one day, but uh, for the moment I need to know a few of your past associates who might assure me that Tom Fisk is a right guy. Ah, I get You, you know Jimmy Horn? Sure. He still live in Cleveland? He was in Cincinnati, last I heard. Uh, Of course. uh, That was it. Anyone else? Charlie Hamilton? I don't think so. At least not by that name. What about Joe Pell? Teddy Ingram? Yes, all right. I should be able to reach one or more of these gentlemen and let you know in a day or two. In the meantime, what do you need? Not a lot. 7500 An acceptable amount for a first transaction. Yes, sir. It's for... uh... I don't want to know what it's for. Yes, sir. As far as I'm concerned, your mother has to have an operation, and I'm just helping you out. Yes, sir. If I help you out. Uh, yes, sir. Eddie Powell told you the terms? Yes, sir. Okay. Come back on Wednesday. Any particular time? My secretary will make an appointment for you. Yes, sir, Mr. Bridge. Yeah, You've been a big help.
1: I... I don't believe any of this.
3: Try to take it easy, Miss Jory. I don't want to take it easy. Tricks poorer a drink, would you? I don't,
1: I don't
4: want to drink. Yes you do. I don't. I, well, I do. And I hate to drink alone. I'm not a stickler about it, mind you. You
1: You two have simply made up a pack of lies about my Nathan.
4: Oh, come on. Simply taken my money and lied to me. No, Miss Jory, that's what we would have done if we'd had any sense or if we'd known that that was what you really wanted. I wanted you to reassure my Aunt Vivian that Nathan is a fine, upstanding man. Yes, Miss, but we can't do that. Why not? Because he isn't.
6: How dare you?
4: Why are you doing this? Why? Why would you say these things? Here, shut up and drink this a minute. Think about this, Miss Jory. It isn't like this is the first time he's done this, and you know it. What are you talking about? You knew he'd had trouble. He was something of an adventurer. That was the business with that Donaldson girl. He gave the Donaldson girl the business? Yes! No! She was a lying tramp. So you weren't just tap-dancing around the conspiracy charge? The what? Hang on, I'm just going to pour you another one right now.
1: I know what this is. This is blackmail. You know how much my Aunt Viv is worth, and you wanted to... Fine. I don't have any money now, but if you'll just...
3: All right, that tears it. I'm different things to different people, but I'm a blackmailer to nobody. You stay back. You listen to me, little girl, and you listen good. You think you're hard done by right now, and that's fine. But the truth is, you won the damn lottery. You got a great aunt with some instinct where people are concerned, and she smelled that something wasn't quite right with your boyfriend. And now you've got a chance to be something more than part of Nathan Bridge's cover story. He may have beat the rap once, but he isn't half as smart as he thinks he is, and sooner or later he'll go down and you won't be the pretty society girl anymore. You'll be the poor lady with the husband rotting away in prison, and you'll find out just how many friends you really have. It won't be pretty, but there it is. That's not an if. That's a when. And under normal circumstances, there wouldn't be anything you could do but feel sorry for yourself. You came to us for your own reasons, and I'm sorry it didn't work out like you planned. But if you think I'm going to lie to the Antacid Queen or whatever she is just so you can marry your soon-to-be jailbird and still get your piece of the pile of money you did nothing to earn, I have three words for you. Grow the hell up.
4: Yeah, that's four words. Shut
3: up and pour me a drink.
4: Please.
3: It really shoots my whole noir tough guy thing in the foot when you make me say please. You. You're horrible.
1: You're both horrible.
4: She's got us there. I'm sorry I ever came here.
3: Well, I think we can all agree on that.
4: Not me. The rent is paid, the heat is on. I'm a practical girl. I've heard that. What do you think she'll do?
3: She'll drop him. She can't figure out a way to keep him and Aunt Vivian's money.
4: We didn't make her any happier.
3: That wasn't our job. It never is.
4: You feel sorry for her? Nope. Liar? Yup. Drink? Drink? Hell yes. Well, the more things change, the more they stay the same.
2: Blackjack Justice, Episode 52, The More Things Change, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Clarissa Donetlandin, Brian Vaughn, and Kevin Robinson. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember com is your address to adventure.
0: D R O M E D A R Y. Dromedary Cigarettes. The smoke with only one hump.
6: Friends, have you tried new, improved dromedary cigarettes? Smokers all over the country are singing the praises of D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R-Y, dromedary cigarettes, the smoke with only one hump. Ask a dromedary smoker and he'll tell you that dromedaries are a light smoke, easy on the draw and easy on the throat. Here's one now. Sir? Sir, are you a dromedary smoker?
0: Yes, I smoke between two and three packs of dromedary a day, and I find them to be very easy on the draw and easy on my throat.
6: And how long have you been smoking dromedary, sir?
0: Since I was 16 years old.
6: Well, the makers of dromedary cigarettes thank you for your many faithful years of business, sir. And how old are you now?
0: 17. (laughs) 17.
6: Remember, friends, dromedary cigarettes are easy on the draw, easy on the throat, and not a cough in a cartoon. Sorry, that's carton. Dromedary cigarettes, the smoke with only one hump. Not
0: a cough in a cartoon. That's carton. One.